0: Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to come in here and learn about you and be able to worship and praise you. And Lord, I pray that you will just give, um, speak through Dalton and help him teach us tonight and help us learn something that we didn't know. In the name we pray, amen. Hey, just a little bit about me. If you don't know me, I know some of you I went to youth group with, which this will be a little weird for you guys, but... Uh, I graduated ULI two years ago, uh, and I'll be graduating from Southeastern uh, University in the spring next year. So I'm going to fumble with this thing the whole time because my ears are tiny. So I'm <laughs> just going to go ahead and let you know. Uh, yeah, so I was in this group for about six years. <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that. I was in the group for about six years, man, and this 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 place is such a place of growth and, and just vulnerability if you allow it to be, and for me, that was one thing. Those two things had to go together in order for me to reach what I thought I wanted to be, uh, and so, man, there are always going to be adults in this room in college and volunteers that are just consistently here. They're not here because even though Dan is a great speaker, they're not here to hear him every week. They're here for you guys, and, and I can't tell you how it's almost like a place of regret for me because I, I could probably count on my hand how many times in those six years that I did reach out to someone that was here consistently just waiting for someone to come to them and seek advice and seek that 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 guidance that we're that we're uh, called to have and so just before we get started that that's not even relevant to what we're going to talk about but that's just something that I felt like was necessary to share with you because it was something that I had to kind of figure out after I got out of the group, and I was like, oh, what do I do now? I don't have a youth group to go to every Wednesday night. Uh, And so uh, I just, every time you leave this room, just take something with you. Take something with you, not physically because Dan would be broke and the church would have no money, but just take something with you, whether it be from the worship setting or the worship set, they put a lot of work into that, or whether it be from what Dan delivers or a conversation you have after the message, you just take something with you. Don't come in and out of here every week and just have nothing. Have nothing, man. I, I can't tell you how dangerous that is. Uh, but aside from that, I'm excited. I'm excited. The last time I got to speak here, I was in 10th grade. I was about yay high. And I don't know why Dan let me do it. Okay, shorter, yeah. I, I don't know why he let me do it, but I, I took forever to prepare. I took, uh, he gave me like three weeks notice, and I started the day of. And I came in, I was really excited, and I had all these notes up here, and I spoke for about 10-ish minutes on the strong side. And so we got to go to Chick-fil-A earlier, so they were thankful that we didn't have that big rush. But, uh, so I'm excited to kind of get a shot at redemption here, so I hope that that kind of works. Uh, but man, I'm excited. And, and, and the chapter we're going to be in, we're going to continue in Acts, what we've been in a while. Uh, and the chapter, I, I kind of struggled through it a little bit because, not because there's not a lot of content in there, but because there's so much, I didn't want to try to pack it all into one and miss what is it that we're supposed to get out of this tonight. And so let's just, let's talk about it a little bit. So if you were here last week, Dan talked about chapter 13, uh, and and so in that we see Saul and Barnabas are set apart, and they're sent out on a missionary journey. And also in the chapter, Saul's name is changed to Paul, and they continue. So they're going through Antioch, they're speaking the gospel, and they're driven out of Antioch because the Jews and and, and the unbelievers in that culture, in that setting, are out for harm. They're they're out to harm Saul and Barnabas. And so then that, that's kind of where we're going to catch up to them here tonight, even though that was a really brief background. We're going to catch up to them here. They're going to enter into Galatia. And uh, does that sound familiar to anyone? From what? I've heard of the book. I've heard of You've heard of the book. Okay, good, good. We're, okay, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so Galatia was notorious uh, for its impenetrable and radical pagan culture. And so what does pagan mean? I don't know. I had to look it up. No. Uh, so pagan, it, it's kind of this, it's a big, broad spectrum of, Uh, sort of this Greek mythology where just everything has a God. The rain has a God, the sun has a God, the moon has a God. So they they worship all these gods. Really, really what it comes down to is what's pleasing me is my God right now. And so that's that's just kind of the the level they operated on. It, It was so notorious and they were so well known for it that even Caesar said this about them. He said, they're fickle in their resolves. They're fond of change and not to be trusted. So fickle in their resolves just kind of means that they kind of go wherever the, the popular thing is at that time. So, I mean, we do this with sports teams. I, I know I'm a Jaguars fan. Sometimes I love them. Sometimes I hate them. That's just how it works. So, so that's kind of the, that's a rough picture of what they were like. You know, if, if it was raining and they, if it wasn't raining and they needed rain for their crops, it would rain, they would praise the God of rain or whatever it is. So that's just kind of, kind of how they worked. So that's just to kind of kind of give you a glimpse of what it is that Paul and Barnabas are about to step into in Galatia, and, and and also I was reading through some commentaries and stuff, and it says that we also understand that Galatia was probably one of the roughest places that they stopped on their missionary journey because they would have uh, because of the language that's used in Galatians. It's one of the harshest of the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. And so, uh, before we get into the actual text, we're just going to pray. Uh, so, so if you will, just bow your heads, uh, and we're going to... There Does it work? A little hot. <laughs> okay, we're good. All right, we're good. Thank you, thank you. All right, now let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's try to start this off right here. Okay, all right. Lord, I just ask that you simply do in this room what only you can do. I ask that you, and I thank you that we can even gather together, and I pray that as we are, that you would just fill this room with your presence and your understanding, and let the words that flow through the room be glorified to you and you alone. So I thank you for this opportunity, and in your son's name I pray, amen. So uh, Acts 14 is where we're going to be, and, and we're going to focus in the middle of the chapter, so I'm going to try to summarize the first part, and then we're going to read the middle, and then we're, I'm going to summarize the end to just kind of wrap it all up. Uh, so in verses 1 through 7, that's where Paul and, and, and Barnabas enter into Galatia, or Iconium is where they actually start, that's the actual region, and so... They enter into Iconium and they start speaking in the synagogue. That's directly where they go, and that would be the temple where the Jewish, uh, the Jewish religion. That's where they go to worship and sacrifice and whatnot. So it would have been the hub, sort of of the of the town of the region, and, and it would have been the center where, <laughs> it would have been the center where where all of the religious importance, all of the all of the people who had some sway in the town in in, in the culture would have been. So Paul started there and trickled down, and so. Immediately, people are just responding to the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, so both ends of the spectrum, are taking in what Paul and Barnabas have to say. But soon thereafter, we see what happens all too often. The Jews and the unbelievers begin to stir the crowds and change their minds, and they want to harm Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas get word of it, and they leave, because this isn't just harm, like, we're going to force you out of our... they're, They're going to kill Paul and Barnabas if they don't leave the town. And so they get up, and they pack up, and they move on. But they continue to preach the gospel as one of the important things that just it radiates through the whole chapter. So then that's where we're going to kind of enter into uh, the, the text that we're going to read tonight. And so we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to finish in 18. Uh, so I'm going to read that for you real fast. Uh, we should have it on the screens, I believe. So it says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from, ver- from birth and had never walked. That's important. He would never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright to your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. But when Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments, they tore their clothes, and they rushed into the crowd. It's quite a sight. Uh, so, and they start to shout at them. They say, we bring you, uh, we're also, why are you doing this? We're also men of like nature with you. And we bring the good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who has made, who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So that's a lot. I know there's a lot in that. We're going to try to break it down a little bit and and we'll get a preview of kind of the main concept I want to look at. Uh, So, but just to wrap up the last part of the chapter, soon after this, there's an event where Paul and Barnabas have brought the gospel again. People have responded but in a way that we haven't seen yet. And they begin to worship them. So then, uh, right after this act, they stop them from sacrificing, barely. Okay, they want to sacrifice the things that you would sacrifice to a God, to Paul and Barnabas. So they end up stopping them. And so then, right after this, the Jews stir up the crowds again. Uh, and this time it's a little different. Paul doesn't escape. Paul doesn't leave. Paul is actually stoned to what would be death, or assumed death. And what's, what's crazy about this is that so how many of you played a sport at some level? It doesn't matter if it was t-ball, whatever. Okay, and you've been hit by a ball at some level. Dodgeball, it doesn't matter. Jim, you've been hit by a ball. Which one of you liked it? Wow, we have some issues. No, so you like getting hit. Okay, so, I, so for me, it relates to I, the way that I kind of picture this and kind of hang with me if you haven't played this sport. But I've played baseball for probably almost all of my life except for about five years when I couldn't. Um, and, and even two years in college, and I've been hit from any—I've been hit with anything from like the sixty miles an hour that you play in little league to like almost ninety-two-ish, and it doesn't feel good. But I—I—I I, I, I was competing. I, I was just doing it, and it was an accident. In this setting, Paul—Paul—is is, proclaiming what he knows to be the truth in the gospel, and the—and the crowds have turned against him, and he would be—it would be something like a setting of a courtyard, just an open space, and he would be chained or something to that level where he had no way out, and they would throw rocks at him. The people that have gathered around, they would throw rocks at him. Does that mean anything to anybody else? All right, yeah, cool. So I know I know, probably you haven't been hit by a lot of rocks, but the people in this town are just gathered with loads, I'm assuming loads of rocks, and just throwing until their arm's tired, or until they know that Paul is dead. And this was common. This, this would have been done pretty commonly if you sinned against the community or if you shamed the community in some way. So they would have been experienced in this, and so they thought Paul was dead, and they would have seen this several times, and they would have known what it looks like for someone to be stoned to death. So they assume he's dead, and they drag him outside the city, and they plop him down, and they leave him there. He's dead. He's supposed to be dead. So the disciples that he's made and Barnabas, they go outside the city to see him. Paul pops up, or I assume he pops up. The Bible just says he gets up. He gets up, and what does he do? He goes back into the city that just stoned him. He goes back in. It, does, it says he goes back in and at some capacity. He continues to speak the gospel, but he leaves the next morning with Barnabas, which I would presume that's a good idea. These people just try to kill you with rocks. I, I, I still struggle with that. So he says right here in verse 22, he says, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. Who more qualified to say that through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God than Paul? This, this is the guy who was a, a persecutor of Christians who killed hundreds and hundreds, met, had an encounter with Jesus, then moves on and instead of roses and daisies in the field, he's arrested several times. He's stoned in this account. And, and just account on top of account of Paul just facing these tribulations just because of the gospel, not because he's Paul, not because of his status, just because of what he's claiming. And so that's kind of the text that we're going to work through. But kind of the, the idea, the, the theme of what we're going to look at comes down to this. And we're going to look at the two sides of the story, and that's the act to follow, which would be Paul in this count, and the tragic mistake to avoid. The tragic mistake to avoid. And we'll, we'll kind of dissect the mistake later after we kind of work through the text a little bit. But I'm asking you to hang on with me. I know that this sometimes it just kind of seems monotonous in here, and you're hearing the same sort of themes on a weekly basis. But I'm just at, just hang with me here. We're going to try to get into the setting with Paul and Barnabas. We're going to try to make this room into Lystra where Paul and Barnabas are at. So so they go into the city, right? Let's let's start with what we know about this setting. They go into the city in verse ten. It says, "They said in a loud voice." So he goes into the city, speaks the gospel, and he heals a man because he looked at him funny, right? Okay, he knows that the man's crippled. The guy, they meet eyes, like Finn's meeting eyes to me right now. He has a weird twinkle in his eye. I don't get it. But he sees something in this guy's eyes that says he has faith to, to be healed from his condition. Are you? Okay, yeah. So he has faith to be, okay. So, so Paul notices this out of everybody that would be in this crowd, and he, and he tells the man to stand up, and he does. A guy that has never walked. This isn't, he was in, he was in a cast, he broke his foot, and he gets, he has never experienced walking. So even, even people that have broken their leg, like our friend Seamus here, he's so when you got out of your cast, you knew how to walk still, right? Okay, you, you you got out of the cast, you started walking. If you have never walked before, you don't know how to walk. So he tells the man to stand up and walk, and he just gets up and, and walks away. He No occupational therapy, no time in between, he just gets up and walks. So So it's a pretty amazing thing that they've done. And so then the people who are who are listening in this crowd, they look at Paul and Barnabas, and, and instead of saying, wow, what a mighty God you serve, what they do? So what mighty gods you are. I'm imagining, so, so let's put Seamus back in his boot that he was in for a while. I'm imagining being up here, and he's looking at me with that twinkle in his eye, and I tell him to stand up and walk and get out of his cast, and he does it. I would say it's safe to say that none of you would say, man, Dalton is Jesus, right? I hope not. <laughs> because if I'm Jesus, we're in a bad place, okay? So it was hard for me to imagine this. It was hard for me to understand why that they would call these men gods, because no matter what religion you follow, your gods have some level of authority, some level of of above you, uh, and and you kind of have that respect and that fear of them, right? So it was hard for me to imagine why they would call humans gods. The gods that they worship, they called them humans. So that was hard for me to imagine. So as I begin to kind of look into this, so, so they call Paul Zeus, or they call Barnabas Zeus, and they call Paul Hermes. So I, I know that Zeus is in some of the Disney movies. I don't know a ton about him, so I had to look it up. And kind of what he is, Zeus, Zeus is the king of the gods. He's the top dog in Greek mythology. He's the gods that all the other gods go to when they're having trouble with their humans. It, that's kind of how it worked. He's like I picture him like the judge, like he's just at this giant, massive table, and he's just clanging that hammer on the thing, just knocking people left and right. So he's the king of the gods. So not only do they call him a not only do they call Barnabas a god, they called him the god of Greek mythology of pagan worship, and they call Paul Hermes. So I looked up Hermes. Great old Wikipedia told me what Hermes was. Now, so Hermes was the son of Zeus, and he was understood to be the originator of language and sort of the intercessor, the intermediate between the divine or the gods and humans. So it w- so it began to make a little bit of sense to me why that they would sort of make that correlation because Paul is the speaker. He is the one bringing the word and Hermes is the, the, the god of communication or whatever you want to call it. But still, they're gods. Why would you do that to them? So... I read more, and I read more, and a couple of accounts have uh, an ancient poet, uh, Ovid or Ovid, whatever you want to call his name, it's O-V-I-D. He records a myth, and and their tradition would have been oral. Everything would have been translated pretty much orally. They had the law, and they had that, but other than that, it was kind of just like hearsay a little bit, Uh, kind of like what Paul and Barnabas are doing in this setting. So there was a story of a neighboring region, which would be Phrygia or something to that, refrigerator, something to that nature, Okay, right next to Lystra and Iconium and all this stuff. And so the myth was that Zeus and Hermes had come into the town disguised as humans. Disguised as humans. Okay, they came into the town disguised as humans, and everybody in the town rejected them. They didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't believe that they were whatever they said they were, except for one couple. It was a man and a woman. They were married. They took them in for the night, and then Zeus and Hermes left the town. Soon after that, the myth says that a flood came and wiped out everyone except for who? Those two people that took them in, right? So now it made sense to me why they would do this, because this would be a relevant story, and they're they're trying to avoid the mistake of a neighboring town, but the the problem is is it's a myth. It's just a story that they heard. There's no foundation in that. So they're scared, and, and they run exactly to, oh, that's Zeus and Hermes. We're not making that mistake. I can't swim. We're not making that mistake. And so there's no survivors except for the couple that took in Zeus and Hermes. So it began to make sense to me a little bit why they would do this. But in this story, so anytime you read the text, you always have to look at it in their sort of setting and then sort of the overarching, like, what is going to be relevant forever, and then and then, what 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 you need from it right then in that moment. Not what you need, but kind of what, what it applies, how it shapes you in that time. And so kind of the thing that I took that was, no matter what circumstance we're in, this is sort of the truth that comes from this text, and it's that the people of Lystra had no foundation. They had no truth, no scripture or account of the gospel, except for what Paul and Barnabas were saying and doing in that time. So the Lyconians had nothing. They they had no truth. Capital T, okay? Capital T, truth. We're talking about the gospel here. They had nothing. And so, where where there is no truth, where there is no Jesus. Where there is no Jesus, there is no life, okay? That's right out of Scripture. John fourteen six says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's a common verse. I think the Parkers have memorized it every year for camp, okay? This is a common verse, but it's, it, that's it. It's right there for you. They're, they had no truth, and they had no Jesus, and they had no life. So they're just fickle. They're lost. They're just wandering around, whatever. Somebody tells them they're believing it, okay? So now that we kind of see that, that that overarching, like, truth, theme, whatever it is uh, that you want to take from it, we're going to move into a little bit of what it means for, for us. How, how do we How do we navigate through this? Because we don't believe in Greek mythology, I hope, okay. And we we, we don't we, we have the truth. We have access to every truth that we want to believe through our phones, computers, whatever. And we have instant access to the truth whenever you want it, believe it or not, I don't know if you knew that. So the difference between us and them is that we have the truth. We have access to the truth. We have not one, not two, not three, but four accounts of the gospel that we believe in. So, if you didn't believe one, there's another one. And there's a backup for that one. There's a four string backup for the gospel, but they're all the same. They're all equal in power. No, kidding. Uh, but seriously, though, we have access to the truth. Paul was a Pharisee, which means he was a religious uh, ruler. He, 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 had, he had to memorize five books of the Bible, the first five books, which would be the law. How many of you memorized five verses? Okay, yeah, me neither. No. So they had to memorize five books, and, and I go to school with this girl, and she, she has three books memorized, and you can ask her, and she'll spout it off right there, the whole book. I, it blows my mind. But he would know the law. He knew the law, which would be very prestigious in this time. But it was until he made that encounter on the road to Damascus where Jesus wrecked him and showed him who it is that he is persecuting, that Paul had the truth. Paul thought he was the truth. He thought that religion was the truth. But until he encountered Jesus in that moment, he had no truth. He had no foundation. And he met the Jesus that would be the reason that he would push through all of this junk that we see him go through through his whole life. Without that, he has no strength, no foundation to move through that. And so, if you want to just take one sentence or one phrase away from this, whatever you want to do, it's going to be that we have to follow in the footsteps of Paul, not because how holy he was, but because he recognized the truth that is in Jesus and he pursued it and nothing stopped him. Without the commitment and being rooted in the scripture, we will be just like the Lyconians in this account. We have nothing to cling to when culture and all this other stuff tells us otherwise. We'll believe it media is so good at this. You hear it all the time. People make fun of the media all the time. I get so sick of hearing, get off social media because it's ruining your life. It is. It is, but I'm still taking it in. It, it, it's You believe whatever you surround yourself with, whether you understand that or not. The shows, the culture, the friends that you have, the conversations you have, that stuff begins to be your truth. So, so what do we do with that? What, what does that matter? How do we, what does that mean? So it sounds good in theory, But how do I make that a reality? And that was a question I had to kind of work through when I was looking through this. And in studying the scripture, I kind of came to this. um, uh, These two things that I really think were kind of what I took away and how I put this into action in my life when I was going through the scripture. And they're super profound and you're not going to believe it. There's only two points. The first one, seek him yes. Woo, you can clap. That's the most profound thing I could come up with for this. I don't have a super, like, I don't have an acronym. I don't have any of that stuff. There's two points. Seek Him. But what I mean by that is read the Word. Pray for the understanding of the Word that you're reading. Ask for the wisdom that God only holds. And intently study the Word. Take advantage of our access to the breathed Word of God. We talk about instant access to the truth Not only do you have instant access to the truth, but you have instant access to unlimited resources about the truth, about the Bible, about the gospel. Start putting them into use. It gets so hard to just consistently read Scripture because I can't tell you how many times I've read Scripture and been like, all right, well, I'll see you tomorrow, Bible. Like, I I don't know what you want from me in this situation, but use resources. Begin to study. Begin to pray before you read, during your reading, and after your reading because without that, you you have no idea what's going on in the Scripture. You have no idea. I can't... We didn't live 2,000 years ago. We have no idea what's going on in these scriptures until we begin to really seek it and really try to understand it. And number two, again, profound, live for Him. Once you have sought after Christ and become grounded in the scriptures and you really begin to study it and take it for yourself, I'm convinced you have no option but to reach a point in your life where it's changed. There's no... I, 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 I can't say this enough. I, I I grew up in church. I grew up with great parents. Fortunately, I uh, I grew up in church and I knew the truths. Kind of like Paul, I knew the law. I knew how to live. But it was until I made that encounter and and I began to do the studying and read the scripture and know Him on my own that I was able to see that life change. And I had no option. I was convicted. That was it. I had that encounter. Paul makes that encounter on the road to Damascus, and he has no option. He's blind. He has no option but to change, right? He has no option but to do what God has put in his mind to go to this man's house so that he can receive his sight back and turn his life around and end up being one of the most prestigious believers that we know writing a ton of the Bible. He has no option but to change. And that's not to say that there won't be highs and lows once you've made that encounter and once you begin to study and do that. Because there always will be, and you've heard that a hundred times, I know it. But the thing that I've noticed that doesn't change for me once I've begun to do that is no matter what life does, high, low, some of, us, some of us don't praise God in the low spots. Some of us don't praise God in the high spots. You just kind of forget the other side. But what happens is once you make this encounter and you begin to seek Him and you begin to know Him and you begin to study His Word intently and try to understand it with your best ability, your dedication, your commitment, your motivation to know who God is and to be closer to Him stays consistently on the rise. No matter what your circumstance looks like, yeah, you're going to have times where you're like, why, God? It's just natural. That's how we are. But in that, you're still going to be able to find that dedication, to find that commitment and motivate yourself to begin and continue to grow in the Scriptures and understand them. Your pursuit to be Christ-like doesn't stop in the in-between the high and the low, it doesn't stop. And I know that those are two profound points and they're really easy to stand up here and say, but try them, I promise. It will change your mind about how easy you think that they are. And so we talked a little bit about this mistake to avoid um, earlier in the main point, and we kind of hinted on it when we read through the scriptures. But there's an overarching mistake to avoid that I've made way too many times. And I would dare to say that you have probably done the same. The adults have made the same mistake. The college, whoever's here, we've probably all made this mistake at some point. But the Lyconians who have no God, or they have gods, but they have a hundred of them. They probably don't know all their names. They have gods for fertility and rain and all this stuff. The mistake that they make is that they are neck deep in their culture and they have no idea how they got there. Or what that culture is doing. They're neck deep in their culture. So, why did they resort to praising Paul and Barnabas? Calling them gods and missing the point of what they just did completely. They raised a man up who's never walked, and they started praising them. They were unable to encounter the truth and respond to God moving through Paul and Barnabas because all they knew was the culture and what the culture said was true and acceptable. The theme, the, the sentence that I clung to in this whole study and, and being able to work through it, and what really gripped me is kind of this. And it said, What I said is, don't let the culture around you dictate how you respond to God moving in your life. Because that's, uh, God doesn't stop I moving. Mean, you can't limit God's movement by your response, but you can control your response. And that takes intentionality, that takes purpose. On your behalf, and saying, "Ah, man, you know, I'm in this culture. I have no option but to be in this culture. But I don't have to be of it, in it, not of it. We talk about that all the time too. But if you let the culture dictate your response to God, you'll miss it completely, and you'll begin to chase the wrong things. And I've done that all too many times. So with that kind of being said, I kind of want to leave you guys with just that. It says, don't let culture dictate your response to God's movement in your life. Culture will tell you that truth lies within yourself. Culture will tell you that to keep it a secret what you get in here, to not have those conversations you need to have, that burden that's on your shoulder, it will tell, culture will tell you, you know what? You're good. Get out of here. Go eat some food. You're hungry. I understand. Culture will tell you, when you're, when you're worshiping, culture will tell you, man, you better be quiet. You better keep your hands down or you're going to look weird. That's how it works. Culture will tell you these things. But the truth lies within the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we all have that access through prayer, through the word, and through the consistent pursuit of who God is, and who Christ is. So I'd kind of like to, i just like to end in this way and I want to pray, and this is kind of a consistent pattern you guys have seen, and will will there be a challenge, and you'll kind of have a response to it. Uh, But just, man, don't leave this place with unfinished business. Culture will tell you to walk out of the door, and you'll be fine. But tomorrow, when you go through something, you're going to think, and you're going to wish, hey, man, I wish I could have done something last night. And that's not to say that this is the only place God moves. God moves in your school. God moves in in, in your quiet time, God moves. And culture would tell you to keep that in your quiet time. Man, you have to take that out. You have to live that. So let's just bow our heads for a second. Bow your heads. And so, man, don't look around, please. Let's not play this game. So just, I have one question for you. One question. Have you allowed culture to overtake the truth in your heart and in your life? Have you allowed culture to dictate your response to God in your life? and how you live your life for God, have you done that? And if you can recognize that you have done that and you know what you need to do, or you don't know what you need to do but you want to know, just kind of just kind of look at me for a second, just a second. Okay, and don't look away yet, don't look away yet. Man, you took the hardest step right now. You took the hardest step right now. Keep your heads down. You took the hardest step right now you made that you made that commit or you made that confession that man i've made a mistake and i and, and I 've fallen into it, and I continue to do it, but in the most loving way that I can say it, do something about it, do something about it, please i can 't tell you how many times I, I looked Dan in the eyes and told him I had something going on, and I walked out and I went and had food and that haunts me right now because I can't imagine where I would have been and what I could have done at the age that I was at, at your age, even though I'm only a couple years older than you. I can't imagine what could have been different if I would have, if I would have done that, if I would have made the commitment and followed through with it. So I want to pray real fast, and 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 we'll be dismissed. So Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we could spend this time with you, digging into your Word, and I'm beyond thankful to have this opportunity. And I just pray that that. Whether they raised their heads or whether they kept it down or whatever it may be, let us not get in the way of your movement. Let us not take part in the culture that tells us to keep quiet with what it is that we're taking away from this. Just do what you can do, Lord, and change our hearts like only you can. And move and do the things of your kingdom. And let us glorify you in everything that we do. And let us live for you. And let us continue to pursue who you are and dig in your word and know who you are. We thank you for the the world that you've put us in and the culture that you've placed around us. But let us not be partakers in the culture, but let us change it and let us set the tone for what culture should be like. So I thank you for this room full of students, and I just pray that there's someone in this room, if if only me, that took took away something from this word tonight. I felt it was so necessary and so significant in my own life and where I where I was when I was in their in their seats, God. And I just thank you for that. And I just pray that your spirit moves and your your love leads, Lord. In your heavenly name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, God.